All opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinion of BioVerge, Inc. or its affiliates. The participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither BioVerge or its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied on as such. Nothing contained in and accompanying this podcast shall be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to purchase any security by BioVerge, its portfolio companies, or any third party. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to the BioVerge Podcast with Neil Litton. Neil, we've got Lindy Fishburne today. For listeners not familiar with Lindy, who is she? I'm incredibly excited to welcome Lindy to the show today. Lindy is a managing partner at Breakout Ventures. Uh, Breakout Ventures is a VC firm that invests in creative bioscience companies that harness the power of cells and computation to scale solutions in human health and sustainability. I've known Lindy for for many years, dating back to her time as the executive director of Breakout Labs. Uh, And Breakout Labs was actually the philanthropic arm of um, the Teal Foundation that invested in what at the time I believe was a was uh, what they called deep tech, which now is common nomenclature, but back then uh, was was pretty new. And so what Breakout Labs did was fund very early stage science, really trying to bridge the valley of death or that translational divide uh, to support companies to the point where they could you know prove that their their technology was commercially viable to then attract more traditional venture. We've seen the market evolve a lot uh, since the days of Breakout Labs. So I'm really excited to talk to Lindy about the evolution from Breakout Labs to Breakout Ventures, what they're interested in funding uh, today, and and her view on just the evolution of, of the overall market. Where did Breakout Labs kind of sit in this whole mix of accelerators and incubators that have been emerging over the past decade? Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to think about Breakout Labs as sort of the venture philanthropy philanthropy model, right? So they, they were backed by philanthropic dollars from the Teal Foundation, but then they actually provided those dollars in the form of, I believe it was grants, uh, we'll have to double check with Lindy, to companies, but then there was a financial return that would come back to Breakout Labs if the company was successful. Um, it was sort of analogous to the model that we used at the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, where there, w- there would be a return back to Uh, the state's general fund if a company uh, was acquired or went public or had some sort of liquidity event. Um, But, you know, that that was, I think, pretty early. We see a lot of um, philanthropic organizations doing that these days. And I think in particular, Breakout Labs was really focused on funding a lot of what was considered sort of science fiction, really super novel types of orthogonal approaches uh, within the, you know, what, what was termed the deep tech space. Um, stuff that really wasn't ready to attract traditional venture funding. Uh, the market has evolved now, and so we're seeing more dollars flow into those types of technologies. But it'll be really interesting to hear Lindy's perspective about how things have shifted over the years. Well, what do you think that transition from breakout labs to breakout ventures say about the 
way the landscape has changed. I mean, to me, it seems like a natural evolution, right? I mean, I, 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 I think that there are a lot more investment dollars flowing into much earlier stage, much more, you know, call them risky novel types of technologies than ever before. Um, and so I think um, the, 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 the evolution to break out ventures well, seems to be a natural one. Um, and fits within the broader sort of macro climate that we're seeing these days. Um, we're just seeing a lot more venture dollars flow into these types of companies. So it seems to make a lot of sense to me. And what are you hoping to hear from Lindy today? Yeah, I, I just like to understand sort of what her learnings were from breakout labs, um, how she's applying those to breakout ventures today, the types of companies breakout ventures is looking for today, if it's the same as what she was looking for before, if her thinking has evolved um, and, you know, where they sort of see themselves fitting into the overall venture ecosystem. Well, if you're all set, let's do it. Hi, Lindy. I'm super excited to welcome you to the show today. Thanks for joining us. Neil, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. You and I have known each other for years now. Uh, and there's been, I think, quite a bit of overlap between what you've been doing first at Breakout Labs and, and now at Breakout Ventures, uh, what I spent many years doing first at the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine, now at Bioverge. I think the common theme here, which we're going to dive into today, is, is really funding, investing, and supporting translational science, bridging uh, the unfortunately named value of death. Um, but before we dive into things, do you feel like that's where you've been spending the majority of your time in, in the recent years is, is funding that translational divide? I do. I think it's evolved a bit in that even earlier on, there's a real push to commercialize science from labs in a way that historically we haven't been as focused on, you know, as a society. Um, and so I think that pulling science forward so that we can commercialize it and benefit from it is definitely where we've been focused. And, you know, as you've been living through, there's just enormous energy and now funding to support that in a way that there wasn't 10 years ago. I think you're absolutely right. It's amazing to see how much the ecosystem has changed. So we're going to talk today about uh, Breakout Labs, a little bit about the history there, the transition to Breakout Ventures, what you're seeing today in the marketplace, your investment thesis. So I'd love to start and sort of go back in time, um, <laughs> for really at the start of Breakout Labs, which I believe was formed in 2020. Um, that was part of the, the the Teal Foundation. Could you talk a little bit about um, the origin of Breakout Labs, what you were seeing in the marketplace in terms of needing to start an organization like Breakout Labs to sort of support some of this, you know, very early stage innovative science? Yeah, and just to just to be sure we're in the same time frame, we started Breakout Labs back in 2011 when the market looked very different than it does now. And, and Breakout Labs really emerged as a creative funding model to use philanthropic dollars out of the Teal Foundation to actually seed fund. In today's world, I think they would be considered pre-seeds, uh, but pre-seed fund, early stage, deep tech, hard science companies, often that were emerging from universities or people's garages. And what we saw in that market at that point was you had computation and tools of scale from other industries starting to be applied to chemistry and biology and what we think of as you know deep hard science and yet 
venture and the market was still very focused on Web 2.0 and sort of licking their wounds from the, the financial crisis. And so there was very little risk capital that was willing to take on technical risk, take on hardware risk, and basically build when it was unclear exactly what that future market might look like. Um, and so we started Breakout Labs to provide that those early seed dollars. And I think in some ways, most importantly, start to build that ecosystem where, for example, like you and I first met when the stem cell initiative was, was kicking off, but build that ecosystem of support so that entrepreneurs in this bio-oriented space could start to have the level of connectivity that they'd seen their brethren have in tech startups. And Lindy, you know, I, I really applaud your efforts because back then, you know, I think that even the term deep tech was sort of novel. Now, now I think it's a, it's a pretty common term, right? But it was sort of new back then. And, and now things have even evolved to, you know, there's this whole tech bio movement as, as well. Exactly. Um, but in terms of just out of curiosity, the, the sort of the funding structure and approach that you took at Breakout Labs, if I, if I recall, it was, it was more like a almost venture philanthropy. Was that right? You were actually taking a, a, an ownership stake or you had some sort of returns that were looking to come back to Breakout Labs if the company was successful in the future. Is that is that right? Yeah, we used a creative grant structure so that we could take philanthropic dollars out of a foundation and actually grant them into companies, which isn't... Um, typically how nonprofits work, right? It's really easy to put a grant into a nonprofit. It's a bit more challenging to, to be able to use a grant into a company. And so we did that and we had a return provision such that if the company went on and was successful in the sense that they raised equity dollars down the road, we could have a, a below market rate return on those grant dollars. And all of the return from the Breakout Labs companies came back into the foundation to basically fund that next generation of science. So almost kind of like an, an evergreen structure, if you think about it that way. Uh, it enabled us to have more patient capital, take some big swings, uh, because we weren't trying to underwrite the same return that a venture investor would underwrite at that point. Uh, and we were really trying to find and prove the edges of, of the science, of the scientist as entrepreneur, and where the edge of that market was at that time. Um, and to your point, um, there was no deep tech. I think most people that, that came to our events, because we spent a lot of time really trying to showcase our companies in this space in general and gel that ecosystem. I think they talked about science fiction more than, <laughs> than deep tech at the time. I think one of our first companies, just an example, was um, Modern Meadow, uh, where they were biofabricating cells in order to create leather without the animal, right, without the cow. Now that is not, I wouldn't even get you know, that much interest at a, at a dinner table conversation, you know, with that idea in 2021. But in 2011, nobody had even ever conceived of, you know, being able to produce an animal-based product without the animal at scale. So they were really big new ideas around this movement towards a bio-based future. And 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 I, I love those types of you know swing for the fences home run type bets in in really novel technologies. And as you said, no one was thinking about those types of commercial applications back then. The the other one that I recall from the Breakout Labs portfolio uh, was Cortexime, 
which yes. was targeting Alzheimer's disease. And I think they, and they had a very orthogonal approach where they were actually, I believe, targeting uh, what they believed to be an infectious pathogen that could potentially be the root cause of Alzheimer's. Um, and I think that company's gone on to actually go public. So maybe that would be another one. I'd love just to sort of learn a little more in terms of how that fit into your model back up at Breakout Labs. And then we can transition to figure out if, if that's part of your model now going forward into Breakout Ventures. Yeah, Cortexum is a great example of what what we were looking for then and, and to your point, continue to look for, which is a very novel hypothesis against a large unmet need, you know, substantial market, you know, intractable problem that we haven't addressed in another way. So when you look at Alzheimer's, obviously, we don't need to go through the data, huge market, massive unmet need, I would argue probably if we can solve Alzheimer's, it's like the biggest boon to the global economy um, because the, the drain of Alzheimer's patients and caregiving is so substantial. And yet what you saw in the space, and I would argue we're just now kind of 10 years later um, starting to see discussion of new hypotheses, but there had been a lot of money and a lot of philanthropic dollars dedicated to Alzheimer's given how substantial the challenge and the problem is. And yet they were all chasing the same hypothesis wrapped up in tau, plaque, and beta amyloid. And there had been no positive results of actually improving cognition. And yet the money continued to flow regularly into the same approaches. Cortexime, which emerged out of an insight at UCSF um, that was actually looking at a bacteria pathogen that is common in, in our mouths is the leading cause, I mean, basically the cause of, of gingivitis and gum disease. They were the first to be able to show that that pathogen actually can travel to the brain, which we did not know before. They could quantify the amount in the brain and then be able to show how it's effectively eating and damaging neurons once there. And so for us, the ability to have a very novel hypothesis that had some very, you know, interesting early data points around it against such an intractable problem is exactly where you know, I would argue at that point, Breakout Labs and now to some degree, Breakout Ventures needs to be playing in the sense that our funding went in to knock down the initial next data set, which allowed them to show this mechanism of action across another hundred brains. And then with that data, be able to attract the follow-on capital to, to keep going and ultimately um, raise a, a Series A with Pfizer Ventures and Takeda and Capital Group, which was a great um, sort of scientific validation to be able to have the old guard, like a Pfizer, look at a very novel hypothesis and get interested in it. Um, Cortexime now is um, about 60 days out from wrapping up uh, a phase two, three clinical trial that um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we are about to show uh, improvements in cognition across mild to moderate Alzheimer's patients in a global trial. So it's been super exciting to watch how they've grown, how they've continued to scaffold additional uh, points around the, the science and the hypothesis and knock down some of the outstanding questions. Uh, and now we are all eagerly awaiting 
uh, the results from this trial. And to your point and how the market has moved over time, they were actually able to, a couple of years ago, um, have what at the time was a was an early IPO based on the promise and the potential. Um, I'm not even sure in today's market it would count as an early IPO <laughs> <You've> got, <laughs> um, because the market has continued to embrace you know, therapeutics with big markets even earlier in their developmental process. Yeah, I, th- I think that's so true. And I think, you know, Lindy, that, that's a, just a perfect case study um, in terms of the, the type of novel technologies, hypotheses that you were funding at Breakout Labs, how the market is embracing those in today's environment. Um, and I think that's a, a great segue into um, maybe talking a little bit about what you learned, your experience at Breakout Labs and how that sort of led to what you're doing today with Breakout Ventures. Yes. Yeah, so when we when we started Labs, there was this growing sense of, you know, this wave that was emerging around innovation and a whole new set of talent that was coming to bear in biology and chemistry. And, you know, we think about it overall as this democratization of science. Uh, back then, there was even this, uh, you know, citizen scientist movement a, a much more enthusiasm and recognition for scientists as entrepreneur, scientists as founder. Um, nobody flinches at those ideas now. Um, Ten years ago, the typical response was, that's interesting science. You can be the CSO. We need to go find a business person to run the company. And I think what has evolved in, in, in really rapid pace Um, is the talent pool that is engaged in this industry, whether it's scientists as entrepreneurs that never intended to stay in university forever, and they'd seen the path of their tech brethren, and they had the vision of wanting to commercialize and make that impact and build that substantial big next generation company, and also a new swath of talent that is now able to engage in biology and chemistry based on tools being more accessible, based on biology becoming driven by computation and a whole set of folks that would think of themselves as more tech, you know, tech studied people and tech experienced people um, now being able to bring the tools of technology to bear on biology. Um, And so we've seen that talent base just rapidly increase and in many ways I would say upscale um, and that has has followed and also helped um, I think further the amount of capital that is now flowing into this market where you and I've been evangelizing for for years way before the capital was was there um, but I think as the talent has expanded as the sense of being able to leverage computation, to lower binary outcome risk of biology and fundamentally the search for you know, the search for alpha and the search for returns in a market where um, they're not quite sure where it's going to come from the next generation of tech. You've seen this unbelievable shift of fun- funding come into this space, you know, that we think of kind of this bio bio built future. Um, and now the money is going earlier and earlier uh, and to our earlier point you know, deep tech is is a space. Um, it is now a well-funded, um, very interesting space with the fusion of lots of technologies coming together. 
Lindy, there, there's so much to, to unpack in, in your comments there. Um, and I think it's such an exciting time in, in this this area. But one of the uh, points that you mentioned, which I do want to take a minute and dive into, because I think this is critically important, is this idea of the, the, the scientist turned entrepreneur, the scientific or technical founder. Right? I mean, that, that was always a common theme in the tech world, right, is the technical founder. Um, as you said, the, the scientists had historically been relegated to the CSO role. And so how do you think about at Breakout Ventures now the role of the, the scientist turned entrepreneur, the, you know, the, the, the technical CEO in terms of trying to build and scale a commercial organization? I mean, what role does you know, management capabilities play in your you know, analysis, whether this is the right person for, for the job to build and scale a commercial operation? Uh, yeah, we, we learned a lot. I would say um, investing, whether it was through labs or ventures, is all about um, building pattern matching and pattern recognition. Um, and we tried a couple different angles at, at this question over the years that, you know, I think in some cases we will have to lick our wounds from in the sense that, you know, we did the brilliant name brand scientist who's got the academic appointment and wants to keep one foot in their um, academic lab and sort of the safety and the security of that, and then try to run a company on the side. And that's something you only do once <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, if, if you're all in, they need to be all in also. Uh, and so I think that we have focused much more on that scientist is founder that most likely has not been their entire career in academia and then at the 12th hour tries to make the switch, but probably came into that scientific expertise, you know, maybe finished and, and has their PhD. But what you're really looking for is that person that is attuned to being able to build the team and the bet you're making more than their you know, brilliance and scientific credibility is their ability to attract people to want to work with them and to ensure that essentially every hire is better, smarter, more competitive than the hire before. And, and when you see how that's happened in the tech world, I think a lot of our scientists as entrepreneurs are, are open and are building in that way. Um, that said, you will find the the brilliant scientist who uh, ensures their brilliance by continuing to hire below them over time, and you're never going to win that way. Um, so we are looking for those early signs of being able to attract a team, being able to to attract fellow travelers that want to work with you, that are supporting you, and the ability to simultaneously hold tight to that founding vision and passion and, and that because that's a big part of what you're investing in, while also being able to hear the feedback, read the market and, you know, shuck and jive and adapt as necessary. And that's a hard thing to do to balance that, you know, being the keeper of the flame and the overall vision and the fire in the belly, while also taking in and adapting to feedback and market realities and um, being able to continue to evolve over time. 
Absolutely. And I think I have a lot of battle wounds from, uh, from, from this area as well. But I, that, Linda, yeah, honestly, that's the, the, the best answer I've heard in terms of what to look for in terms of the, the technical or scientific you know, founders and, and their abilities to build out the team around them. And, and I, I think there's a lot that goes into that. And I think you know, what we've seen in recent years is, um, at least in certain aspects of the market, the shift away from people that have 30 years of drug development experience. Right? And those were the only types of folks that were getting funding. Now we're seeing, as you mentioned, maybe folks who, who just recently received a PhD who are able to now access funding uh, that would have previously been inaccessible to them. So I think, I think that the market is evolving nicely. And um, I think you articulated that, that perfectly in, in your answer there. I, I want to um, transition to talk a little bit about um, some of the critical elements that you look for in companies uh, at Breakout Ventures. So, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are that are listeners. If, if someone's coming to Breakout Ventures to approach you, what, what are the key items that you're looking for? So I, I think the most exciting things and where we are known for playing and I think where we can really help entrepreneurs are those folks that are are pushing an edge that have a fusion of science and some type of technology of scale that that lets you see where where that science can grow and why it would matter. So we tend to focus on what we what we would call you know technology technology science of substance companies of substance that as they scale if and when they scale it really matters and less focus on incremental moves, you know, the safer bet because something is 10% better, faster, cheaper. We'd actually like more of a, you know, brand new approach that we were saying before, the novel hypothesis, the the new category. Um, And so I think that overall vision being grounded to some breakthrough, some novel science as to why you're going to be able to get there, um, is what we're looking for, coupled with are these the best people, the right people to push this new idea forward, right? Does the marriage between the idea, the science, and that team make sense? Um, sometimes you've got the really cool out-of-the-box idea coming from folks that are just not going to be credible to try to advance that. So you're looking for that match there. Uh, and then you're looking to understand you know, this balance of of how bold are they? Because as you know, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of dedication and getting knocked down and getting back up again. And so there is some amount of, you know, irrational boldness that's required, (laughs) but it also has to be tempered with enough humbleness to know what you don't know and where you're going to need to get that early advisor, you know, understand that you may have brilliant AI for identifying a new a new target or a new composition of matter, but you actually have never developed a drug before. And so although your tools and technologies on the ID side might be really interesting, unless you're able to balance understanding where you're going to need to work with those who potentially understand the market or understand that Bit, that next bit of translation, that humbleness is needed to be able to provide a, you know, a balanced approach and wrapper where you think, okay, with capital, with network, with connectivity, you know, this group is likely to be able to land critical milestones 
in a timely manner that facilitates moving the science forward and attracting the next capital to really have a go at scaling this and getting it into the market. Lindy, I may have to borrow that term, irrational boldness. I, <laughs> I like that one. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the stage of, of financing. So you're still pretty early stage. So is that is that pre-seed, seed, series A? Can you talk a little bit of, about the, the stage? Yes. I, I mean, as you know well, all the uh, the nomenclature in our world <laughs> is, is you know, alphabet soup at this point. So... <laughs> I, I, I think you see, uh, you know, now that we have $500 million Series A's at times and, you know, pre-seeds going into individuals that haven't even formed a company, <laughs> it's it's really hard to, to just land on um, the terms in the market. I would say uh, based on the historical use of the terms, we tend to break out ventures now. We're investing in creative biosciences, in entrepreneurs that are focused in hitting those first key technical milestones after they've got, you know, they've got something. So they've had an early proof of concept or they're taking IP out of university, but like there's a, there's a scientific heft and basis for their vision. So we'll put the first you know, 500,000 to a million in, I would call them early seeds. In today's world, those could be called pre-seeds. Um, and we'll continue to do you know, 10 of those or so a year. And then the bulk of our dollars and exposure is really around high conviction Series A checks, which are probably more you know, three to five to seven million um, depending on <laughs> on the round and the valuation in this market, uh, all of that is still what I would call early early stage for sure in terms of where they are on the technology on the scale. Uh, but at that Series A, you should have at least early indications around you know, to use a tech term, kind of product market fit. Maybe that's JDAs where you're working with a corporate to develop. Maybe that's an early partnership. That's early customers. But it's some sense of the market wants this, and I have a sense of how to get it to them. Um, and then we're building to scale from there. So it, that begs another couple questions to dive into. But the, the first one, again, sort of for the entrepreneurs out there, you launched uh, Breakout Ventures with a $60 million fund. Uh, at what point will that fund be fully deployed uh, and, and any plans for raising uh, a, another fund after that? Yes. So I, I should have updated you at the beginning. Uh, so we have invested Breakout Ventures 1 and have 11 companies in that portfolio. Um, Cortex, I'm uh, to our earlier conversation being one that is, has done quite well. And now if we cure Alzheimer's, we'll, we'll be very happy with. Um, we all will be. <laughs> exactly. We will have achieved our goal in many ways. Um, and in 2021, we actually launched Breakout Ventures Second Fund. And we have just begun investing out of that fund. Uh, we've just closed our first three seed deals and uh, closed our first Series A. So we are open for business and uh, investing regularly now uh, and looking at new and exciting deals in creative biosciences that, you know, I think I have the best job in the world because every day you are surprised by some new solution, some new approach in this bio-based future. 
Oh, well, congratulations on the new fund. Very, Thank very you. exciting. Yeah. Um, one, one other question that comes to mind was, um, do, do you have any plans to invest beyond Series A? Is that is that part of the mandate or do you feel like your job's done by that point? Uh, so we continue to, to um, basically hold in reserve to be able to engage in, typically I would say that Series B or that next round. We're not going to, to be the funder that stays there forever for that you know, large growth equity crossover round, we're probably tapped out by that point. Um, but typically when you're investing at Series A, you're also reserving to support the company in that um, next round. And a big part of what we've always focused on is really building our networks so that we can help facilitate facilitate the syndicate building for our companies. So ideally, you've got the capital around the table such that if they're hitting technical milestones, the team is gelling, you know, the market's responding, they shouldn't have to spend you know, nine months out fundraising that next round. And you've really started to do that syndicate building and networking early enough such that that next stage of capital is, is as well teed up as it can be if they're hitting those critical milestones. Yeah, which, which is a huge value add for, for companies and entrepreneurs. Um, Lindy, I want to transition the conversation uh, slightly. You know, venture capital to this day remains, uh, I think, a male-dominated space. <laughs> Break, breakout Ventures uh, features a female team. Is, is that by design or coincidence? Uh, we are, uh, you know, do have, fe- we are female-led GPs. Uh, and that was really how the best people came together to do the job. Uh, we're continuing to build out the team and we actually have a, a great new, um, associate joining us. So the, the team will be more diverse soon. Um, but I, I think that, that we have all seen the advantages of new and different and diverse bodies managing capital because as we're all familiar with how networks work, um, when capital is in a wider range of hands, it naturally and inherently funds a, a broader range of, of entrepreneurs just based on, on network theory alone. So I, I think we have a higher percentage of female CEOs than I, I think I'd say any other firm I've seen, not because we go looking, but because based on network, we are often introduced to phenomenal female CEOs. Uh, and so we are supportive and excited by the broader range of folks that are directing capital in this market. And I think a, that is driving you know, greater accessibility for entrepreneurs coming into the space. And I think that that's critically important, right? I mean, democratizing the access to capital um, yep. I think is, is, is really critical in this space as we're seeing more and more uh, of what we talked about before, right? The scientists turn entrepreneurs um, that are building these really, really amazing companies based on some novel technologies. So, Lindy, I know we could probably talk for another two days <laughs> <laughs> about these topics, um, but, but I do want to end with um, any advice for entrepreneurs who are seeking financing and, and want to approach you? How can they learn more about Breakout Ventures? How can they get in touch with you? Yes, so we are happy to review things pretty early, and we actually have um, the ability to get in touch on our website at breakout.vc. There's even a very simple form there that lets you share 
the company, the space you're in, and sort of that early paragraph of, of what you're working on. Um, and I want to be clear, we actually have that there because we review everything that comes in and um, get back to folks within two weeks. And we are very sensitive and aware of taking you know time and energy from entrepreneurs. I would say typically the best way to break into a conversation with a venture fund is through a CEO, somebody on the team of one of their portfolio companies. I think a big part of, of deals that we see in spaces we get excited about is that, and I think this is across most funds, right? You're seeing and you're learning through the companies that you're invested in. And so when one of our CEOs who you know, we trust, we love, we've backed, and they know us, and they say, hey, I really think you should take a look at this. That's always a very compelling intro and a great way in. But to our earlier conversation around democratizing access, not everybody has that relationship or has that in, which is why I think it is really important that we have something like this, you know, open form on the website so that those without the network can also get at gain access and we can be able to do a review and get back to them quickly if we want to engage further. I, I think that's wonderful. Well, Lindy, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for a great wide ranging discussion. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Neil, I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Great to catch up with you. Thanks so much. Well, Neil, what did you think? I thought that was a wonderful discussion with, with Lindy. I, I particularly enjoyed uh, her take on uh, the, the the scientific or technical founder question. I, I thought that was honestly the best answer I've heard in terms of uh, what what investors are looking for uh, for for that type of you know scientific you know entrepreneur. I think it's a really tough question. It's one that I've struggled with uh, over the years. You know, we we funded a lot of the, a lot of the scientists turned entrepreneurs at at CERM. Uh, we deal a lot of the, deal with that a lot at, at Bioverge, um, and it's you know it's, it's sort of walking a fine line. And so I think Lindy's answer there was was really spot on in terms of what investors should be looking for. And I think it also helps entrepreneurs to think about well, what do they need to do to be a credible CEO? Um, you know, particularly if they come from the academic background. Where do you see Breakout Ventures fitting into the investment landscape today? Yeah, I mean, I sort of view Breakout Ventures as a, as a, as an early stage, um, you know, venture um, uh, firm that invests in, you know, as Lindy said, I mean, sort of the deep tech, but particularly, you know, computational biology. It's a lot of what we would call tech bio these days. I mean, sounds like it spans the various sub verticals within healthcare, but, you know, they, they seem to be, a you know, a, an early stage, you know, uh, venture firm. And I think are, are often what it seems like are trying to identify technologies a, a lot of times ahead of some of the more traditional uh, players out there in, in the venture space. Uh, what's the, the need you see today in seed and early stage funding? Well, there's been a lot more capital flowing into uh, earlier stage rounds, seed, uh, series A, you know, pre-seed. You, you heard Lenny talk about the idea of alphabet soup when it comes to the nomenclature, uh, which I think is, is, is true. Um, it's gotten a little out of hand, but right. I mean, we're, we are seeing, you know, a hundred plus 500 plus million dollar series a rounds regularly these days. Um, so, you know, capital is, is flowing in earlier. I think that that's great, but I think it's not being evenly distributed, right? There's a lot of firms that are all chasing the same deals. That's why we're seeing more of these, 
mega rounds. So, you know, I think Lindy's point about having a, a you know, a, 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 a female led team and a, and a diverse team, you know, how that um, colors their view on, on really providing more access to capital to folks that maybe would otherwise have a hard time accessing that capital spot on, right? I mean, trying to democratize access to ensure that enough people have the ability to get in front of VCs who can fund them. Um, I think that's really critical. And so, you know, that's something that we're trying to do at Bioverge as well. But I think it's it's the role that Breakout Ventures plays, I think, is really critical in the ecosystem, even uh, understanding that there's still a ton of capital within the ecosystem. But Breakout Ventures, I think, has carved out a very nice niche. In her role at Breakout Labs, she had this incredible visibility into innovation and, and entrepreneurial scientist. What do you think that did to shape her approach at Breakout Ventures? I mean, I, from from the conversation, it sounds like the approach is very similar, right? I mean, you, you heard about some of the maybe some of the battle wounds or lessons learned from uh, Breakout Labs, but you know, it seems like the Breakout Ventures is 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 really sort of a the next evolution of Breakout Labs. So, in my mind, there would be no Breakout Ventures without first having Breakout Labs and all those learnings. You know, there, there's a unique set of folks who invest in seed in early stage rounds. As someone who does this, did anything Lindy say hit a raw nerve or give you an aha moment or just speak to something you really related to from your own experience? Yeah, I mean, again, going back to the idea of the the technical founder, the scientific founder. I mean, that's something that's very common in the technology world. Um, you know, and, and you heard her talk a, a little bit about. Um, you know, looking at companies that are backed by folks that maybe just received a PhD, right? In, in traditional biotech investing, drug development, right? F- you know, folks are looking for, you know, 20 or 30 years of drug development experience. And, and there's a good reason for that. But I think with this new sort of computational overlay for a lot of the companies that we're seeing that are trying to solve fundamental problems in biology or healthcare, we are skewing in many ways towards, you know, a younger generation of founders and, you know, it was really great to hear Lindy's point of view about what she looks for to assess, you know, whether that person is the right, you know, person to lead a, a commercial enterprise. So I think that in particular struck a struck a chord with me. Um, and I think that's that's really critical um, as, you know, more firms think about funding early innovation. Uh, it's certainly something that we think about at Bioverse all of the time. So I think that that point in particular jumped out. Well, until next time. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The BioVerge podcast is a product of BioVerge Inc., an investment platform that funds visionary entrepreneurs with the aim of transforming healthcare. BioVerge provides access and enables everyone to invest in highly vetted healthcare startups on the cutting edge of innovation. From family offices and registered investment advisors to accredited and non-accredited individuals. To learn more, go to BioVerge.com. This podcast is produced for BioVerge by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided courtesy of the Jonah Levine Collective.